Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. Welcome to Villas Grace Church. You join us this morning as we begin the book of John. Here at Villa's Grace Church, we participate in expository preaching and teaching. That is, we take books of the Bible, we go verse by verse consecutively through each one of the books of the Bible. And when we do so, it can take us some time. So I'm just warning you now, as we begin, John, which we are just amazed at what we're learning already, even though we're just getting started with five verses here, it's probably going to take us around a year or longer to get through the entire book. But my hope is that you, along with all of us collectively, we will be reminded of the person and the nature of who Jesus Christ is. And you can find it right here in our tagline. What does it say? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Our hope at the end of John would be for you to be able to defend that and understand exactly what that verse means that comes from the book of John. At this time, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are appreciative of the musicians that you have brought here to be able to lead us in worship as we sing songs, bring in honor and glory to your name. Lord, we now transition to the proclamation of your word, and as we do so, we pray that we allow your Holy Spirit, we yield to him, so he can convict us of your truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All throughout human history, the Mona Lisa is actually considered to be one of the greatest pieces of art ever. It was painted by Mike or Leonardo da Vinci. I wanted to say Michelangelo. He was a sculptor. Leonardo da Vinci painted this in the 1500s. And there are still two questions on everybody's mind when it comes to the Mona Lisa. The first one is this. Who's the subject? Nobody really knows who the subject is. We still do not know. And the second question is, what is she smiling at? What was the joke that was said that made her give that little smirk on her face? But really, that's not the point this morning. Really, the whole point of what we're getting to with showing you the Mona Lisa is this. This painting is considered to be Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece. Now, for those of you that are a little unsure of what a masterpiece is, let me define it for you. A masterpiece is a work done with extraordinary skill, a supreme intellectual or artistic achievement. So if the Mona Lisa is a masterpiece... This is what the world would consider to be a masterpiece. I mean, come on, it's a painting. If this is what the world considers to be a masterpiece, then tell me what you would call this artistic creation that you're looking at right now. What would you call this? Who created the sun, moon, and stars? That's a fair question. Even a non-believer can walk outside and ask that question. Who created the sun, moon, and stars? Now, if we're asking that question, and if you're thinking that God, but not Jesus, created the sun, moon, and stars, then rest assured, this sermon is for you. Now, if you are thinking that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit created the sun, moon, and stars, rest assured, this sermon is still for you. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, The Word, The Word. 
As stated previously, we are beginning the book of John. We are going to be in John chapter 1, looking at verses 1 through 5. We begin our journey through the gospel according to John today, and we're going to recognize that Jesus is the central figure of the gospel. He is the end-all, be-all when it comes to the good news of salvation because it's through His work that hell-deserving sinners have been saved. The good news is not a philosophy. It's not some philosophy on life on how to, you know, get motivated to do whatever it is that you got to get done for the week. It has nothing to do with that. No motivation for your life ambition and goals. We're not talking about that. This is a message about eternal salvation. And through the person and work of Jesus, this is accomplished. The whole purpose of John's account is to convince the sinner of the true person of Christ. Now, let me say that again. And think about this after everything you're about ready to hear this morning. The true purpose of John's account is to convince the sinner of the true person of Christ. And this is found in our tagline. And our tagline this morning, which has already been stated, comes from John chapter 20, verse 31, where we see John say this. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Brothers and sisters, today we begin this journey. We begin the journey to recognize Jesus as the Christ. We begin the journey to recognize Jesus as Messiah, to recognize Jesus as King of Kings, to recognize Jesus as the Word. Let's go ahead and get into the Word right here in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. These verses this morning put into one simple sentence looks just like this. Jesus is the ever-existing God of a salvation. Jesus is the ever-existing God of salvation. Now, that's a very simple sentence. It may not seem so simple yet, but our hope is for that sentence to seem very simplistic by the time we're done with these five verses this morning. Jesus is the ever-existing God of salvation. Verses 1 and 3. Let's take a look at verse 1 here. First, who's the Word? Jesus. Second, how do we know that this is true? What does it say? In the Word was God. Brothers and sisters, this is of great significance to Christianity. This is the linchpin of Christianity. In fact, if Jesus isn't God, there is no Christianity. John begins his account of the Gospel by claiming that Jesus is God. He, out the gate, makes the proclamation that Jesus is God Himself. We recognize this in the Old Testament because when Isaiah had his prophecy about Christ and his eventual reign over Israel, he stated this in Isaiah 52, verses 6 and 7. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Jesus 
is God, and this is the divide between Christianity and every other man-made religion ever. Speaking of man-made religion, we can't make that statement without at least looking at a couple man-made religions. See, here's the thing, and let me just preface this. If you're going to say something like Jesus is God, then you have to give the counter-argument. And that's what we're about ready to do. So we just want to give the counter-argument against what John here is claiming in John 1. So let's just give a couple examples. And one of the first ones that we're going to begin with of the two that we're going to look at this morning is Mormonism. Again, take a look at verse 1. Take a look at verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was, or the Word was God. Now, Mormonism, a.k.a. the Joseph Smith translation, that is their translation of their Bible. They have the Book of Mormon, and they have the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. They've retranslated the whole entire Bible. But this is what John 1.1 says in Mormonism. I'm just going to read it to you. It's not going to be on your screen. These words aren't worth putting up on the screen. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word. And the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. Hmm. Sounds like Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God himself. And the gospel was the word, and the word was with the son. That sounds similar, but it's not exact. And the son was with God, and the son was of God. That doesn't sound neither similar or exact. See, Mormons believe that Jesus is the created spirit brother of Adam. Also, Mormons believe that Jesus is the created brother of Lucifer. And what's even worse, they believe that God was created by another God. We know this can't be true because John tells us what in verse 1? What does he say? He says, in the beginning was the Word. God cannot be created by another God. Because in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. Again, take a look at verse 1. Now, a Jehovah's Witness would beg to differ, just like a Mormon would beg to differ with what our account says here in John 1.1. See, listen to their New World Translation. That's what they have translated their Bible into. It's called the New World Translation. Their translation's a little bit more similar to ours, but there's a caveat in there that actually denies the deity of Christ. Let me just read this to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. No. No, Jesus isn't a God. Jesus is God. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was created in heaven. They believe that He was God's first creation. That's what they actually believe. In fact, let me just read this doctrinal statement from Jehovah's Witness. God created Jesus before creating Adam. God created Jesus, then used him to create everything else, including the angels. Before he was born, lived as a spirit creature in heaven. No, no, because look at verses 2 and 3. What does it say? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, which includes Jesus himself. 
self. Brothers and sisters, this is the universe in which we live in, the one that was created by Jesus. This is the world that we live in, the one that was created by Jesus. This world and universe that we reside in is His masterpiece. And if His Word, which He is the Word, tells us that He is God and we live within His masterpiece, all of creation, we better get His deity right. The beginning as in Genesis 1.1, because we know the Bible starts off by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a reason why we must get this correct. There's, there's a really important doctrine to Christianity that makes sure that we better get this correct. And that doctrine is the Trinity. If we don't get the deity of Jesus right, there is no Holy Trinity. What does Genesis 1.26 say? I'm just going to read this for you. Then God said, now, now listen to this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's the Trinity right there, that plural, that our God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, all three participated in the creation account. If Jesus is in God, then there is absolutely no Trinity. Brothers and sisters, this is why this is of great significance to Christianity. This is the reason why John begins his account of the gospel by stating who Jesus is. He doesn't do what the other gospels do in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He doesn't deal with the genealogy of Jesus. He goes right to the fact that Jesus himself is God himself. He's God in human flesh. Now think about that. It's a little mind-blowing now, isn't it? To think that God, who has always been, who is I am, decided to leave heaven. Actually, what it means is he created mankind knowing that he would have to go to the cross one day to save his creation. Yet he still created knowing this fact. Jesus chose to leave heaven and enter time and space and dwell here on earth as God in human form. And from our two examples, it's abundantly clear that Christianity is under attack, but this, these aren't new attacks. These attacks have been around for a long time. Now mark my words when I say this. And if you want to write this down, go ahead or take a mental note. But in my experience studying theology and participating in fellowship within a church, I can, I can tell you this. The most vicious attacks against God's church comes from within the church. Some of the most vicious attacks against the church come from within the church. Let me tell you a question about Billy Graham and Mitt Romney to kind of back up that claim. This is back in 2012 when Mitt Romney was running for president. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, had a meeting with Mitt Romney. Now, after that meeting, something happened, and something happened because if you remember, Mitt Romney is a Mormon, and he is vocal and public about his faith in Mormonism. 
So Billy Graham met with him before he was running for president against Barack Obama back in 2012. But the next day following the meeting, Billy Graham's official website removed Mormonism as a heretical cult. Up until that meeting took place, you could have gone on Billy Graham's website and it was listed right there, Mormonism, as one of the heretical cults of the world. But amazingly, he meets with Mitt Romney and all of a sudden it's removed. Now, this is what the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association had to say about removing what they removed. They simply said this, they didn't want to get into a theological issue that had political overtones. Hmm. I guess you don't talk politics or religion now, now, now do you? I mean, come on. So what? It's honor and glory to the false Christ of Mormonism. And then what are we to do? I mean, if, if, if we're going to uphold that standard, what are, what are we to do? Dishonor Jesus as the Christ? Dishonor Jesus as the Messiah? Dishonor Jesus as King of Kings? Dishonor Jesus as the Word? Then what's next when we start doing that? I'm going to tell you what's next after we start doing that. We're going to dishonor God the Father. We're going to dishonor God the Son. And we're going to dishonor God the Holy Spirit. And essentially, we therefore just dishonored the Holy Trinity. See, there's a false doctrine that comes to mind when we start doing that, and especially in the way in which we see Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses handle the deity of Jesus. Now, it's a big $25, actually with inflation, I, don't, I probably shouldn't say $25 word, because I've been saying that for about a decade now. Maybe $35.37. All right, the word's modalism, okay? Modalism. I'm going to use the word and give you the definition. Here it is. Modalism is persons of the Trinity who represent three modes or aspects of divine revelation. Basically, modalism relies on three persons not being distinct or coexisting. So they would say, yeah, there's a Trinity, but all three persons of the Trinity are distinct and different, and they do not coexist. They can basically exist outside of the Trinity. Okay? That's modalism. Now, let me share this with you about modalism. You can go to, just go to our local Christian bookstore that's just down the road from here, and you will see books on the shelves by men, pastors, theologians, whatever, that promote modalism, and it's in the Christian bookstore like it's, you know, evangelical Christianity. And it's not. So we have to be astute. We have to understand, and it all starts with knowing who Jesus is. So... I don't want to call people out. That's not the whole point of this to say, oh, we got this right and you got this wrong. That's not what we're trying to do. But if I'm going to call myself a Christian, I better understand who Jesus is. If I'm going to call myself a Christian, I better understand that he is God himself. I better understand that all things were created by him and through him. See, brothers and sisters, the first five verses of John breaks the back of modalism. You would never be bamboozled by modalism if you accidentally picked up one of those books if you just know John 1. A simple understanding of John 1 through 5 would help you understand that what I'm reading here is good for campfire. The Holy Trinity is different. It's not three distinct, self-sufficient individuals outside of being 
in coexistence together. No, the Holy Trinity is three distinct persons who coexist as one. They're united. Think about that. Think about everything that this world wants right now. Everything that we see going on. What, what do we want? Unity and peace, right? Man wants unity, but man wants unity on man's own ability to create unity in and of himself. Unity can only, only be found, will only be found ever within Christianity. And the Trinity itself is a great example of that. Unity. Three distinct persons who are co-equal as one. Write these three things down really quick. This is something that I read this week. And I think this explains this really well. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. Some of you take mental notes very well. Some of you take notes by writing down. If you do take notes, whether it's mentally or if you write it down, do these three things. If you do what some people do and just tune me out, you can do that too, but I suggest you don't. These are important. Listen. Jesus is pre-existent. Jesus is co-existent. Jesus is self-existent. So we have, he's pre-existent, he's co-existent, and he's self-existent. Okay, now go back to verse 2. What does it say? He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is pre-existent. Now, take a look at verse 1. In God, in the Word was God. Jesus is co-existent. Now finally, look at verses 3 and 4. All things were made through him, in him was life. Jesus is self-existent. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's really that simple. John 1, 1 through 5, confirms that Jesus is God himself and shows us that he is united within the Trinity itself. So as Hallie comes up and we close up this morning, we must understand that Everything that exists, everything that exists comes through Jesus. This week I was talking with Pastor Jared. He was telling me a story about his granddaughter, or no, his daughter, actually. It was your daughter. When she was younger and he was teaching her about the self-existence of Christ. And he was telling her just what we just said. Everything that was created was created through Jesus. And she says, no, 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 Dad, that's not true. Jesus didn't create this car, but he had to explain to her, yes, even the materials made that make up the car were brought out of the earth somehow, some way that Jesus created. So it doesn't matter what it is that we look at. Everything can be traced back to Jesus through creation, but only a God who was unified in a holy trinity in the way in which God has presented himself to be in scripture could ever do that. All roads, all verses, everything in life itself points right back to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, only a pre-existent, co-existent, self-existent Jesus can be the life that is the light of men as we see here in verse 4. No one gave Jesus life because Jesus is life. Through Jesus is creation and through him is salvation. 
Again, only a pre-existent, co-existent, self-existent Jesus can be the life that is the light of men. And then in verse 5, what does it say? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Why? Because the Word is God. And salvation is His masterpiece. Which is why we're saying what we said today in this one sentence that defines these five verses. Jesus is the ever-existing God of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our prayer continuously asks you to use us to share our faith with others. Let us be a church that encourages us in your word as we can share salvation with those who do not know you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.